So I've been, uh, and I, I was, uh, I was taking my, I was taking my shirt off to for the to get ready for the radiation treatment a, a couple weeks ago, and I and I just swung my arm down and I struck one of the lady techs on the shoulders. I was coming down, and now I've hit a woman. <laughs> and on and on. Well, I I, uh, I kind of tweaked my back yesterday, and so now I have a, a stool here. And there's one more thing, you know. I think me of all people, I'm gonna. After all, I'm gonna end up sitting on a stool, preaching from sitting on a stool. My life is falling apart, you know. I I was thinking about I, I might have to. I feel pretty good now, but I, I I might have to sit. I might have to sit today. And and I was thinking, well, isn't there a place where it says Jesus sat down and began to teach? I thought that's what I'm gonna hang on to. <laughs> uh, but uh, but let's pray. Uh, Lord, may your word feed your people today as we open it. Uh, help help your people to be attentive and receptive. Uh, help me to divide the word rightly and and teach it well. Give discernment to all that, that we might weigh everything against the plumb line of your truth and hold fast to what is good. And, and grace, give us grace to receive it as what you have said it is, a revelation of your will and your ways to us who have been called out of darkness into your marvelous light. We pray in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen. At our uh, midweek Bible study at Greenfield Senior Living, we're working our way through Romans right now. And this week, as, as providence would have it, we came to Romans chapter 6. Um, and I say it's providential because we just come off a Good Friday and we've come off a Resurrection Sunday. And, uh, and while Romans chapter 6... It's, it's not a passage that we think of as being about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it actually has much to do with both, much to do with uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, the argument of Romans 6 is completely based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Romans, of course, is the most comprehensive unpacking of the gospel in the New Testament, I mean, at least I think it is. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Romans is the is the most expansive, you know, description and and uh, the implications of, of the gospel. It's the it's the it's it really is the go-to letter for the the most expansive presentation of the gospel. Uh, whenever I get to share the gospel in a one-on-one kind of a situation, I I love it. When they say, when the person I'm talking to says, well, if what you're saying is right, and all you have to do is believe, then you could commit all kinds of sins, whatever kind of sins you wanted. You could commit adultery, murder, whatever, and you still go to heaven. I, I love to hear that kind of a statement. You know, they say it different ways, but it's all, you know, they, I love to hear that. Not because it's a full understanding of the gospel, because it isn't. But I love to hear it because it shows that they are getting what I've been saying 
so far <laughs> that they that they get it. It 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 means that they were they're getting that the gospel is not about being good enough to earn God's approval. They get that. And it means they're at least beginning to understand the implications of God's grace in the gospel. They're, they're getting, they're connecting those dots. Grace, God's unmerited favor on the undeserving. They're beginning to get that if they say that, if they make that objection. It, it means they are beginning to grasp that if, God, if salvation is by God's grace, then it cannot be something we earn by our good works or by our religiousness or, or, or anything like that. And it, it really is, I say objection, because it really is an objection, because they don't really usually take it the full way, but here's what it... Here's what it really means, the, the, full, the, the full explanation. They say, if salvation is by grace, through faith, plus nothing, then someone could sin to their wicked heart's content and still go to heaven when they die. And here's what is usually unspoken. They say, and that can't be right. That, that's why it's an objection. That can't be right. But still... I like hearing that objection because sometimes I hear something like this instead. They say, you know, it's, you know, salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. They say, yes, I agree. That's so very right. That's very right. It's so important to believe in, in, to believe in Jesus and receive the free gift of salvation. I just hope I have been good enough to get there and sometimes I hear something like that oh yes so right so right yes absolutely receive the free gift I just hope I've been good enough when I hear something like that I think you haven't heard me (laughs) you you're not getting let's try again let me go back and see if I can say it a little bit different way that will kind of punch through uh, a few years ago, after the Greenfield Bible study one night, uh, one of the ladies was waiting for the elevator. She's a faithful attendee, and in fact, a few of you know her, knew her. She's passed now, but uh, she's waiting for the elevators to take her upstairs. I'm I overheard walking by. The person holding the door of the elevator said, looked at her, said, "Going up?" She said, "I hope so." <laughs> well, I'm walking by the elevator. I'm thinking. Still work to do. <laughs> she hasn't heard me yet. But if they say, well, if what you're saying is right, I can commit all sorts of sins and still be fine, my thought is more like this. All right. You've heard with ears to hear Romans 1 through 5. <laughs> You've heard it that far. And you're ready for Romans 6. In fact, you're asking for Romans 6. Uh, In our Greenfield Bible study, having just come to Romans 6, I mean, just think of some of the verses, and I'll read some from Romans. Just think of what they've had over the past, you know, we used about about a chapter a week, the past five weeks or so, past month and a half or so. 
116, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you know, I pointed out, it's not believes and. The power of salvation to everyone who believes. It's not believes and. Everyone who believes. 3.21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, brought to bear, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Once again, not believe and. Believe. 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Apart from doing good things. Apart from being religious person. A religious person. By faith. Apart, specifically, apart from works of the law. 4.5. And to the one who does not work. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Justifies, declared righteous by God. His faith is counted as righteousness. I may have said, you notice that it doesn't say that we have been, uh, let's say, as one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the religious doesn't say that. Who justifies the ungodly. Who declares to be righteous the ungodly. We, uh, for, let's see, 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared righteous by God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And then the last verses of chapter 5, 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Paul, you look at that whole line of argument. Paul has been begging for the objection we started with. He's been anticipating it. Here it is in the first chapter verse of a, first verse of chapter six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul, you know, is a chronic and serial and terminal sharer of the gospel, right? Sharing the gospel all the time. He must have heard variations of that objection hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. He, he knows it's the next natural step in the conversation. And, and, and here it is. If... Like you just said in the last two verses of chapter 5. If the grace of God in Christ is always greater than my sin, then why not just keep on sinning? 
since it causes the grace, there's always going to be more grace, more than enough grace to wash my sins away. Uh, some, some even even took it further, and they suggested that, well, maybe it would be a good thing to keep on sinning because it causes the grace of God to kind of superabound. You know, it, the more we sin, the more grace comes out and covers up and, and may, you know, multiply God's glory. So what's Paul's answer? First, first two words of the next verse. And it'll, it'll help you to be in Romans 6 today. We won't leave it if you have your Bible or use a pew Bible. Meganoita. Two words. It's, 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 not, it's not two words in the English translations, but it's two words in Greek. It, ESV and NIV says, by no means. By no means. New American Standard, may it never be. And those are kind of literal, almost literal translations. There's more than one English word there, but it may it never be. It just can't be. Uh, King James says, God forbid, but there's no word for God. doesn't say God there and doesn't say forbid. But, it, you know, you get the idea. God forbid. No way. You know, any of these will do. No way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Perish the thought. Hush your mouth. Sinning, so he says, no, no, absolutely not. Sinning all the more so that grace will superabound and overflow is absolutely not how the Christian life works. It isn't how salvation works. It isn't how the gospel works. Now, it's not surprising to us or to anybody that the Bible comes out against sinning. It is religion after all. You, had to, you knew there had to be a catch in there somewhere. <laughs> it isn't surprising that the Bible advocates against a lifestyle of sin for Christians or anyone else. But the why not is surprising to some. I, I would even say to many. And it stretches some Christians' faith almost to the breaking point where you can't believe what it says. You know, why don't we sin? And, and here are the verses, starting with 6.2. Well, I'll start from the beginning. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Here's the reason we don't. How can we who died to sin still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's Good Friday. There's Good Friday. Verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, there's Resurrection Sunday. We, too, might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now that's the passage. 
Here's the argument. Those who receive, let me just kind of put it, paraphrase it, put it in my own words. But this is the argument of those verses. Those who receive God's gift of salvation by grace through faith apart from works do not continue in sin because God's saving work in the life of a believer involves their death to sin, causes their death to sin, and dead men don't sin. One of my favorite sermons that I've preached from years past was about the biggest den of sin in town. And I argued for the sake of argument that it wasn't... A, what's the biggest den of sin in town? I argued that it wasn't the uh, house of ill repute and it wasn't the bar, but it was the funeral parlor. Because the biggest lies ever told are on brazen public display right there at the funeral parlor. It's not the bar. I mean, in fact, a lot of the problems that come from the bar come from excessive and reckless truth-telling. <laughs> but the funeral parlor, the wildly exaggerated flattery of the deceased... And sometimes not just exaggerated, made up out of whole cloth. The sometimes insincere condolences, the secret scheming for the goods left behind. But at the funeral of a believer, at least of a believer, there's one person there who is finally and entirely free from sin. And that's the guest of honor, the one in the box. He or she is done with it. For him or her, the daily struggle against sin is over. He has been free as Paul says in the next chapter Romans he's been freed from the body of this death sin's last remaining leverage in him it's it's been removed with his removal from that from fallen sinful flesh and it's been removed by death Notice that Romans 6, in those verses I just read, notice that Paul does not argue that believers ought to die from sin. Notice it's not a command. Believers, die to sin. you got to die to sin. Get yourself dead to sin. He doesn't say that we should die to sin. He simply states that we have died to sin. That if you're in Christ Jesus, you have, if you've been united to Him in His death, you have died to sin. He, he doesn't command us to do that. 
He simply asks us if we have come to the realization that it is already an accomplished fact. I know you're connecting dots here, you know, but don't, don't do it so far. Just try to understand the text. Don't try to incorporate your own experience into it yet. He just says, Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Didn't you know that? He who has died has been set free from sin, verse 7. Notice also that Paul is not saying that a believer's death to sin is something that comes well into the Christian life. You know, it's something that comes with spiritual maturity. It's something that happens in the advanced stages of sanctification. It's something only the you know, super-Christians you know, attain to and hope to aspire to. It's not, it's not for you know, us regulars. It's for the ones who are really far advanced. You can, hang on, Christian, you can get to where you're dead to sin. That's not his argument. Notice that he puts it right at the beginning. He, he doesn't say it's well into years and years of maturity. He puts it at the beginning. Do you, know, do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, some Christians argue that this passage teaches something called baptismal regeneration, that it's the physical act of being baptized in water that saves people. Now, our church's position is that outward baptism, or that water baptism is the outward sign of faith that's already uh, already resides in the heart. It's already an inner spiritual reality. You become baptized because you've already placed your faith in Christ. You're already in Christ. But, you know, the fact, let's face it, for Paul, there's no such thing as an unbaptized believer. What do you do? You believe and you get baptized. So, it's at the beginning. Paul puts it at the beginning. I don't think he's saying that, you know, being that our act water baptism is what makes this happen. But coming, you come to faith in Christ and you're baptized. And that's, you know, if, you, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have this death to sin is something that happens at the very beginning. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Not will be. If you go through these, if you do this right, if you do that right, if you grow enough, no, was our old self was crucified with Christ. And just think about that verse, verse six. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him. Do you know that? Do you? <laughs> do you know that? Well, you can know it. You should know it. You believe the Bible, don't you? I mean, don't you believe if the Bible teaches it, it should be believed and obeyed? That's pretty basic. And here it says, our old self was crucified with 
him. That's Good Friday. So from the beginning of your Christian life, whenever that was, what the Word is teaching here, what God's Word is teaching here, is that you partook somehow, in some way, you entered into the death of Christ. You were made a part of it. You were placed into it. Baptizo, that's what baptized means, being placed into You were made a part of the death of Christ, and that that death, it severed your prior relationship with sin. The Our old self, the person you were before Christ, was crucified with Christ, was made to die. And think of crucifixion. It's definitive. It's certain. It's confirmed. And why was why did that happen? Why, obviously, we're not talking about something you might feel, right? That this is a this is a, a spiritual truth that very well goes beyond the the level of your emotions and feelings. You know, this is new to you know. Really, I didn't know that happened. But here's what it says. And, and why did it happen? The end of verse 6. This happened in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. That is so hard for us to believe. Because we tell ourselves... I don't seem dead to sin to me. (laughs) I seem pretty alive to it to me. I sin plenty. And maybe dead men don't sin, but I do. (laughs) The, The folks at Greenfield... You know, who, who come from a great, a really great big variety of church backgrounds. And they come from a lot of church backgrounds where they don't hear the gospel. They haven't heard the gospel, at least in my estimation. They don't hear very many good explanations of the gospel, presentations of the gospel, and the kind of background they come out of. So they come to, they, they have this, you know, good people. Good people go to heaven. The three ideas about Christianity is to be good enough. You know, are you going up? I hope so. And so they think, i, I got to tell you, they think I'm the greatest. They think I'm fabulous. They think I hung the moon. So I, they just think I'm, I'm just awesome, terrific. And so I remind them sometimes that my wife knows about me. And I'm kind of glad she's not here tonight. She would, might expand upon it. She's feeling ill today. But I remind them that my wife knows about me what they don't know. And that I know about me things my wife doesn't know. And that God knows about me things I don't know. Things I don't tell myself. I, I, I remind them of these, uh, you, you know, you see in the, in the funny papers and the comic strips where, where a character's thoughts can be read in the thought bubbles over their heads. You know, there's a thought bubble up there. 
I remind them of that sometimes to kind of get across this idea of this pervasiveness of, of, of sin. And I say, you know, they, you know how people, you know, you can read their thoughts in a cloud, in a, in a thought cloud over their head. Aren't you glad those aren't real? <laughs> aren't you glad that's not really not how it works? Can you imagine if everybody could re- anybody could read the thoughts of your mind in a thought cloud over your head? You, you wouldn't have any friends by the end of the week. You know, you, you, so we know ourselves to sin, and that makes it hard to grasp what it can mean that we have died to sin or we've been crucified to sin. But if you are in Christ, if this death to sin has happened in you, you will see it. And you see it in a, well, in a far more complicated and conflicted relationship with sin that still exerts leverage in your pre-resurrection flesh. You know, if you came to Christ as an adult, uh, you sh- you'll know if this really happened to you. In other words, if you are really in Christ, you'll notice that you don't get out of sin what you used to get out of it. Or... Or if you if you came to Christ at a time you don't really don't really remember not having believed in Christ, you don't get out of it what others seem to get out of it. For you, it always carries something of the stench of death. For you, it carries the sting of conviction that you know is going to you know even when you're doing it you 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 know you think this isn't right. You, you, for you, it has. It always comes. You, you, maybe soon after that awful feeling of having disappointed the Lord. That that awful sense of there's something wrong in your fellowship with God that you want to fix. You want to get past. And you you come to you come to hate that sin you still struggle against. And you long to be free of it forever. Even when you confess, you say, why can't I get past this? Why why can't I get past this? It It wouldn't be like that apart from God's saving work in you. That wouldn't be going on. It's all evidence of some part of you. I argue the deepest part of you. The most you part of you. The part of you that still be you when the body's in the box. When they say, he's not here, he's in heaven. The part that's in heaven. That sin, it's all evidence of having died to sin. Of having partaken of Christ's death. The positive side of it is not quite as hard for us to grasp. 
raised up in newness of life, partaking of resurrection power. You know, been made a part of the resurrection already. Romans 6, 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that tends to be easier for us to recognize in ourselves. How about this? An appetite for God's Word. A feeling that God's Word feeds us, nourishes us spiritually. A a heart that likes and longs to worship God. A, a, A sense that worship, while it's all about God, it's not about me, still a sense that worship also feeds me, nourishes me. A love for God's people that really is much, much more than having something in common with affinity groups. You know, people my age or people in my life situation or men or, you know, our own, our own sex or something like that. But it's, no, a love for believers different than us, different ages than us. Different interests than ours. Different nationalities than ours. Different cultures. A sense of brotherhood. A sense of kinship. Often, very often, a a real sense of love for believers you just met. Sometimes a sense of love for believers you've never met. A heart for others to be saved. A heartache. A broken heartedness for people who don't know Christ, are outside of Christ without hope in the world or any world. That's evidence of having already shared, taken a part of, been made a part of Christ's resurrection life. It's not in my notes, but I was thinking, isn't it something when God gives us something of a a foretaste, right? Because there is a time we'll be completely free from sin. And there is a time when when everything about us will be swallowed up in Christ's resurrection life to the fullest. But isn't it something that when God gives us this kind of foretaste of resurrection life, it's not that we live to 150 years, everyone else lives to, you know, 70 or 80 we live to 150 because we share it. That's not what he gives us. What he it's it's what is it? It's the it's the character that we'll have in full resurrection life. It's the uh, it's the desires, the changed desires. It's the changed ambitions. It's the inner life, isn't it? That's the foreview. That's the that's the foretaste he gives us. That's the, that's the partial sharing that we have. And so if you don't see... So I, th- I think we have to say that if you don't see any of that fruit, any of it, the negative side, the positive side, evidence of having partaken in Christ's death unto sin, evidence of having partaken in his newness of life, his resurrection of life, if you don't... In other words, if your sin doesn't bother you unless and until you get caught... If, or if sin, and you know a lot of people who are right here, if sin 
real, something sinful really is the good stuff of life for you. And man, that's where it's at. If, if worship doesn't resonate with you at all, if you, just, if you still only think of it in terms of what you like or don't like, and, and there's no simply of praising the Lord for His sake, if you have no appetite for God's Word, I mean, in other words, if the word Bible makes you glaze over, if you have no sense of relationship with other people who have a faith in Christ, or if you have no sense of compassion for those who are without Christ, without hope in the world, then maybe it never really has been real for you. Maybe you just said the words of a prayer that never did really come from your heart to God. Maybe it is just about a church affiliation or a cultural habit. That will be no safeguard against the righteous judgment of God upon your sin. And if that's really where you are, if that, if that self-assessment is true, I wouldn't want to talk you out of it. Say, oh no, you prayed the prayer. (laughs) But I would want to urge you to repent of your sins and come to a real faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Christ and be saved. And you will see these things. You will see these things. You'll see evidence of this death to sin, though you'll still struggle with it. We know that's true from the Scripture as well. And you'll see this evidence of, of having partaken in the resurrection in some way, in some level. Not like you will, but certainly nonetheless. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm convinced differently about those of you I know best because because I've seen discomfort with the remains of sin. (laughs) I've seen the appetite for God's word. I've I've seen the heart for worship. I've seen the love of the brethren. I've seen heartbreak for the lost uh, and other things like these. And for you, and if it's you, in the passage we finally come to some commands to end up. 6.8 Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's a command. Finally, a command. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a command. You must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. We're not to consider it to be true so that in the moment it will become true in a particular case. I've been taught that before. King James, you've got to reckon it to be true so that it becomes true. When you reckon yourself dead to sin, then you are for that moment. 
We're not to reckon ourselves dead to sin or consider ourselves dead to sin so that we will become dead to sin in the moment of temptation we won't do it. We're to consider ourselves dead to sin because it is true. It is something that happens in the life, in the heart, in the character of every person, in the spirit of every person who places his or her trust in the death and resurrection of Christ. Something has happened in you. Something is, if you're in Christ, something has happened to you in the deepest part of your being. You have died with Christ and you have been made to share in his resurrection life right now. So that you walk in newness of life. There are a, few, there are a couple more commands. 6.12 Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Well, he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Which certainly implies I might. I have to obey that. I might let sin reign in this mortal body that's bound to die, the body as yet untouched by Christ's resurrection power. But do you see where the sinful passions come from? Come from that body that hasn't been touched by Christ's resurrection power yet. It comes from the tent in which you live, to borrow you know, imagery from somewhere else. The body is for you. You're not for the body. Don't let an it, under the sense of death, drag you around with it. The body is yours. You don't belong to the body. Make the body do what you want it to do. You tell it no. Tell it no. I think as we get toward May, I'll talk about fasting some. You know what the best, one of the greatest things about fasting? It lets you know you can say no to your body and it doesn't kill you. And you didn't know that before. <laughs> Another command, 6.13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of his righteousness. Which, again, implies you might do that, but don't do it. Don't present your members. And what does it mean by members? You know, your hands, your eyes, your speech, your mouth, your ears, your brain. Don't give that over to sin, to do what, it, what the body wants to do. But give yourselves, your whole selves, to God, body and soul. So the original question was, if we're really saved by grace through faith plus nothing, and it's all of God's grace and nothing of my works or yours, and if the grace is always sufficient to cover your sin then why shouldn't Christians sin that grace might abound? Well, the summary answer is the last verse of the passage. Verse 14, For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. It's grace that makes all the difference. It's the grace that has made you different. Live as the person... God has made you through Christ. 
stop letting the body and its desires, its passions, its appetites lead you around by the nose. Walk in the resurrection power that you celebrated last Sunday, but this Sunday and every Sunday. And so the power of the resurrection, here's the answer. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just something we want and we're looking forward to in the future, which we are. On that wonderful day when God raises up physically, bodily, just as Christ was before us. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also something we experience and live every day of our life as a Christian. We've got a foretaste of it. We've got a preview of it that we have all the time as he, we, as he conforms us to his image, as he sanctifies us, and as we walk in newness of life, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward, what lies ahead. And that happens in the lives of believers. You don't sin that grace might abound. Why? To to cut out all the middle, because Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. He's risen indeed. Uh, Lord, it, it may be well that, that some here today really don't know what I'm talking about, not on an experiential level, not on a personal level. Uh, for some, perhaps sin still does seem like the really great stuff of life, and their, or their appetite for your word hasn't been quickened, not on any level. Or worship feels strange, like just a religious exercise. I don't see the point of it, and there's no sense of connection with fellow believers and No sense of urgency about those without Christ. No sense of relationship with you. Give such uh, the boldness, the honesty, the faith to come to you for simple salvation. Uh, Lord, also protect the overscrupulous from doubting their own salvation simply because their struggle against sin is ongoing as it is for all who continue to live in fallen flesh. But help every believer in this place to obey the Scripture, the simple command of Scripture, to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to God and not let sin reign in our mortal bodies and to present ourselves, our whole selves, body and soul, to you for your purposes as those who have been brought from death to life We pray in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen.